We're here to talk about Romans and living in this tension. And last Sunday, Brandon invited us into a, a private conversation that he had and asked what I found was a really challenging question about why do we love God? How many were challenged by that question? I mean, I, I went away for long walks in the woods reflecting on that, and we're going to circle around that. There's some elements this morning that I'll allude to. And then the Sunday before that, uh, Tom talked about the tension of unanswered prayer. How many have faced that tension of unanswered prayer? And I think this morning, the verse that we're going to be looking at uh, will not disappoint us in terms of the tensions that we encounter because this idea of living in tension really stretches us. It really brings us to a place where I, I don't know if I can sit in this, but so much, <laughs> so much of it is necessary uh, in order for us to really center ourselves in God in the way that we need to. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in your Christian journey have heard this before? God has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you heard that? And how many heard that when you were just a new Christian? That was God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And then you start on the adventure. And it's much more like the most nightmarish roller coaster you've ever been on. Ah! You know, you're hanging on for you know, dear life. And the, the real question that we start to ponder is, okay, I, I think God does have this plan for me, but how does it work? How does this really work out? Is it something that I take the initiative on? Is it something that God takes the initiative on? Do I ask God for every single item in my life? Every step that I take, every plan that I make, am I always asking God? And does he want me to work like a robot? Is that what he wants? What does he want? And so as you start out thinking about this wonderful plan, how does it work? Then you start reading verses like this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Oh, so what is that? So when I was a new Christian and I was still working at St. Olaf College and, and trying to figure out what does God want from me, I remember I started studying as best I could how planning works in the Bible. And then I came across this verse that freaked me out. It's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search it out. And I thought, God is going to play hide and seek with me? How am I ever going to figure this out? It just seemed kind of crazy to me. But God's not playing hide and seek in the sense of, ah, ha, ha, Mark, you can't figure it out. But there is a tension that we find ourselves in and trying to discern. And it needs to be a tension because it requires our faith and our trust. And here is where your picture of God is so important, which is why Brendan's question is so important. You know, when Jesus tells the students, if you love me, you will obey me. How do you read that? Is it like the frustrated parent that goes, you know, I say to my, my kids when they're little, like Gracie's age, Josiah, if you love me, you will obey me. Or is it an axiom that Jesus is putting out there saying, listen, if you love me, you will obey me. It'll just flow. That's how it works. And so this concept of how we picture God 
in moments where we're going through tension, where we can't figure out where we are, what we're doing, why he hasn't answered the prayer, why life isn't rolling out, do we still see him as the good, good father who does all things well? That's critical. So we want to step into Romans and, and ask this wise and saint, this apostle Paul, who has traversed the known globe several times. He's preached to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. He's faced all kinds of hardship. He's had to make all kinds of plans. How did he do that? How did he stay in the tension? And so this morning, we want to just take a look at the first part of verse 13. And Isn't it amazing as we just scratch at the surface of some of these verses in Romans, how deep they go? I mean, we're really not like colluding on Wednesday morning at staff meeting. Let's see how long we can make chapter one go. That's not happening. You know, Sharon's not calling from Spain. I've got a great idea. We could milk it until the year 2021. You know, that's not happening. We're really trying to listen and to stay in the tension. Lord, what do you want to say here? And this this verse is not disappointing. There's actually four key tensions we have to look at today from this half of a verse. Let's read it. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. Planned many times. And what you find is that in the planning And in life, what God is asking us to do is to balance these tensions that we're going to talk about in just a moment. And it's it's in the center of them, it's in holding yourself in them, that you really discover the fullness of God's plan for your life, the fullness of what he's doing. And what does it really look like to partner with him in stewardship? And it's so important when we're talking about plans and decisions that we include the life of God because, you know, we want to make good decisions because those decisions are going to turn around and make us. Think about that. We want to make good decisions, and by saying good, I'm, I, I'm inferring God because those decisions are going to turn around and they're going to make us. And so there's these tensions that we step in where I have my will, my ideas, And I know that God has his will there, but what does it look like for us in the tension to form our will? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Today, right now, here, in my life and in yours, what does that look like? And so there are four tensions that Paul alludes to in just this half verse. Let's take a look at them. The first tension that he alludes to is this tension of others, this this notion of the people around you. Have you noticed that God has a plan for your life, and so does everybody else? Have you noticed that? That's a reality, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing to me how many ideas people have for the life of Mark Spencer. And some of those ideas are actually partly God. And then some of them are just crazy. But... In the working out and the walking out of trying to discern God's will for our life, other people are key. But if we don't stay in the tension, we can lose ourselves. Have you ever lost yourself to someone else's will? 
someone else's idea of what you should or shouldn't be doing. And you realize, ooh, I slid out of the tension in that moment. So what Paul says is he says, listen, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, I I want you to understand this because I realize that we're in this together. We're, We're working this out together. Paul knows he needs others. Goodness gracious, he knew that right from the get-go. When he was knocked out on the Damascus Road, he was blinded, and he knew he needed someone. And Ananias comes along and begins to tell him what God's plan is for his life. But that wasn't enough that when Paul makes his resurgence out of his retreat time, all those years, he, he comes out, and it's Barnabas. He needs Barnabas, another person who takes him and says, listen. I see God, and I'm going to introduce you to the other apostles. And we're going to do some work together. Paul understands he needs others. He gets it. And he's learned how to stay in this tension. And it is a, it's a big tension that we find ourselves in. How do we listen to others in a way where we're listening for God in their voices? It's really a challenge. I want to invite you to really pray in particular for Brendan. That's one of the most challenging seats to be in, to be a senior pastor. I've been there. I've done that. And I know that. Because I know as sure as Brendan's got a job description, he has hundreds of them looking at him every Sunday. God has a plan for Brendan, and so do you. (laughs) And so we really need to pray, you know, Lord, what do you want me to say? say to Brendan? How do you want me to encourage Brendan? What are you saying to us? Because really, I respect Brendan's discernment, but he needs others around him. He'll say that. He wants to build a team. He wants to hear God together. He knows that this is the idea of a body working together, but we really need one another, and we need to be discerning in order to do this. The proverb says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. But you need to stay in tension. One of the things that I'm most burdened by in this season of my life is the amount of loneliness that I encounter. The people that don't have people, I'm really burdened by. I think it's my single greatest burden right now. And when you see an announcement like the night at the ranch, I want to encourage you because I know, I know pretty well what this church has been through in its history. I know pretty well what the congregation is navigating. And there's some of you that have been original Bridgewoodians. You were here when the first brick was laid. But the church has undergone change, and so some of your friends, some of your relationships, some of those close things have passed on. And so you're now in a place where you're rebuilding, relaunching relationships, and you need them because... Wise people listen to advice, and to get advice means you need people. And there's some of you that are new here. And so you're stepping in, and you know, it's been the same thing in all three decades of my ministry career. The reliable people who research church have discovered the same thing for why people go to a church and stay at a church. You know what it is? They find friends. The number one reason they find friends. Now, we as a staff can create different experiences in this big room and Bible studies and nights at the ranch, but you have to step in and to say, I'm going, Lord, watching who you're sending me to. 
and who you might be sending to me. It's so important because we need to be wise like Paul was wise, like Solomon was wise, and to realize I need people to advise me. Now, that said, there's a tension because I can know what I think about a situation and I can listen to what others think, but what God really wants me to discern is what he's thinking in a moment. So some years ago, when I was uh, working at University of Wisconsin River Falls, I realized that even though I was planting a church, I probably needed to develop a career that, so I could be bivocational and support the ministry, like Paul built, you know, was making tents, for example. And I went through just this long time of talking to lots of different people and listening. And as a result of that, it, I started to slide off one side and started to see myself as others saw me. Instead of keeping an attention where, okay, I receive that, but I have a sense of who I am in God, and then the two of them help me discern what God thinks. Can you see the importance of the tension of the two? It's so critical. Paul knows it. And so he says, listen, you need others, but there's a tension that you need to stay in. Which leads him then to talk about a second tension, which is the tension of two. Namely, you and God. You know, whenever you start to plan something with another person or a group of people, it gets more complicated, doesn't it? I know so many couples that will come and they'll say, Mark, we really like date night, but date night drives us nuts because we can't agree on what to do. We get in the car and we go, what are you hungry for? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. And so it's a tension because they don't know. And I kind of giggle when I hear Brendan talking about he's going on vacation with the family. How many of you with little kids have done family vacations? Just to get the kids in the minivan is a minor miracle. Right? And so we know that whenever we're trying to plan and it's involving more people, that's challenging. But this idea of really, what does it look like for us to sync our life with this invisible God. It's a dance. And so we'll read verses like this in Jeremiah where it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we're like, yes, serve it up, God. But if you read the context of the verse, this is what Jeremiah goes on to say. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your Heart, calling, seeking, searching, digging, discerning. Woo! And you realize this dance of the two isn't so simple, is it? I mean, this happened in a time when for Israel, their known world is crumbling. I mean, they're getting pulled into an exile and the prophet is saying, hey, listen, Don't sweat it. God has a plan for your life. You're like, what? That makes you seek. It's a tension. Which is why Paul says to his Roman friends, he says, listen, I want you to know I've planned many times to visit you. Paul keeps at this because he's praying and he's seeking and he's watching and his desires haven't changed. He keeps 
wanting to go. He keeps as best he can discerning that God wants him to go. So he keeps going, but it's a tension of two. Lord, I can't pull this off on my own. I need you. And so this convergence of my will and God's will coming to form our will. You need that. It's, it's the tension that has to happen. And it's so easy in those moments when you're searching and you're seeking and you're not automatically hearing. We know when we ask you to ask those two questions that it's not always, if often going to be, an instant answer. When you say to God, God, what do you want to say to me? How many of you just get an automatic response every time? If you do, please see me after the service. I want you to pray for me. It isn't like we have a bat phone to heaven. Hello, God, what do you want to say this morning? You know, it, it takes searching and seeking, and that's a tension. But, but that keeps us going. So Paul, he wants us to know, yes, it's going to take others. And then paramount to that, it takes this discerning of what God is doing in your life. And then this third tension of melding them together to build a plan. To actually have legs to this concept that you're getting from the Spirit of God. Because, again, he says, I've planned. So, Paul wasn't just winging it. You couldn't wing it then. You'd have to find some way to ferry with the ship or some way to make it across these wilderness places. And Paul never in known history traveled alone. He was a highly committed discipler of people. We know about Silas and some of the people that he traveled with, but oftentimes it's, there's historians that think that he took upwards of 10 and 12 disciples with him at different places on his tab. That takes planning. Really takes planning. And so that creates some kind of tension for us to, to take it and to say, Lord, what I need is I need some, some wisdom, and yet I also need to have revelation so that I can understand what a plan is. A lot of Christians slide off the rails in this tension. Either they're really heavy on the wisdom side, which wisdom is seeing life through God's eyes. And so as you read the Word, of course, there's all kinds of different truths in there and, and proverbs and, and reliable wisdom to build your life on. But there's also certain situations in life you're not going to find in the Bible when you're going in to see the doctor about that lump that you don't know where it came from and what it means. You need revelation. What do you want to say to me, Lord? And the truths that you know about the God you're talking to are clear. You need that wisdom. But man, do you need light and revelation. Revelation literally means to take the cover off. It's like God goes, here, look here, Mark. Oh, didn't see that. I did. You need revelation. And it's the convergence of the two that help us to discern the fullness of God's plan. 
And some people are really heavy on this revelation side. There was a sweet woman that I knew back in the church at Eden Prairie. She was always seeking the Lord. And so one day she called the office and she said, Mark, I'm in a dilemma. I said, well, tell me more. What, what are you in a dilemma about? She goes, I don't know what toothpaste to buy. So I said, okay, so you want help discerning what toothpaste to buy? She goes, oh, yeah, often I will ask the Lord and he'll just tell me. Okay, what are you hearing now? Nothing. I said, do you know what wisdom tells me? She said, no, what? Wisdom tells me there are times where God wants you to choose. Oh, are you serious? I'm very serious. I take my toothpaste very serious. Would God really want me to choose? Absolutely. Read the parable of the talents and call me. Later on, we talk. She goes, I never read the parable of the talents quite like that before. You see, God wants you to be a discerning, wise child of God using wisdom. But in those moments when you need revelation or God supplies them, it really helps to bring the fullness of power. But you can't slide out of the tension. Can you see that? So please, if you're wondering what toothpaste to buy, call Brendan. <laughs> That's right. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, see his picture of the Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. We need both wisdom and revelation, which leads us to the last tension that Paul lists in this verse, and that is the tension of expectation. When we think we've got the plan of God, and it begins to get instituted, and it rolls out, and if it doesn't meet our expectations, uh uh-oh. You see, the tension is what we think will happen, what is happening, but the thing we want to focus on is what God wants to happen. Now, let me ask you some questions. Have you heard of a fellow named Moses in the Bible? Have you heard of him? Are you familiar with the story? Moses is out tending the sheep, and this burning bush keeps burning. And so he goes over, and he has this encounter with God, right? You've read the story. And so is he hearing God? Yes. And what does God tell him to do? I want you to go back to Egypt and be my deliverer for my people, right? Now, has he heard God? Does he have a plan from God? So this is just going to go on super well, isn't it? What happens on day number one on the job when Moses goes back to Egypt? Read the story tonight and giggle. Day number one, that Israel wants to kill him. Now, Wouldn't that make you go, I'm not so sure about this whole thing? Did I really get the revelation? Do I really have a plan? And this is what happens to so many people when we engage the plan of God, we encounter resistance or challenge. And our expectations are met and we pull out, we back away, we fold up shop. What would have happened if Moses says, Whoo, that was a headache, man? I'm getting out by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Forget this. 
And so we have to have a sense of what's going on. And Paul says to his friends, he says, listen, I've been prevented until now. I don't understand. I still have this urgency. I I still have a sense of God calling. I'm still planning on it. And if you read reliable historians, we know Paul gets there. In fact, a good many of them say Paul actually made it to Spain. But we don't have a written record of that because Paul loses his life before he gets a chance to really continue that kind of writing where we could have that record. But in terms of indicators of did he make it, he did. But did it roll out the way Paul thought? No. In fact, did most of Paul's missions trips ever roll out the way he thought? Heidi is getting ready to go to Uganda with a team. Heidi, is it just going to roll just like you have planned? Point A, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Heidi's been on too many mission experiences. She knows. Part of the mission experience is learning to go where he goes. And we won't know until we're in the thick of it. In the middle of it, Paul's seeing it right. I just have to be able to discern clearly what God is saying and stay with the plan. This is just half of a verse that the apostle unpacks. I really want to encourage you, if you've never read this book, Decision Making in the Will of God, it's kind of the number one treatise on the subject. It's not the kind of book that you want to cozy up with a bowl of popcorn late at night and just kind of read for fun. It's intense. But it's, it's probably the single most helpful treatise that I've ever read on the will of God. It still remains the standard some 25 years later as, as really how do we discern the will of God. So I, I would encourage you to read on. But I want to, in closing, just sum up some things that when we're trying to figure out God's plan, according to what we talked about today, there's this convergence of tensions that we have to stay in where others are speaking to us and helping us to hear God, and we need others, and that there's the tension of the two, that you're, you're fostering and nurturing and growing in your relationship to hear Father, and that there's an emerging plan that has to take place if you're going to really move on what you hear God saying. There has to be a plan. And lastly, we have to really be sure to guard our expectations. So in closing... I'll tell you a little story about a guy I know named Mark Spencer. He was new in this Christian faith, and he was planning on uh, serving the Lord in ministry. Didn't know quite what it looked like, but there I was at St. Alpha. I'd worked there two years, and I was getting ready to go on uh, to, to study to actually be a dean in, at colleges. I wanted to be a dean of men, and it that seemed like that would be a great venue for ministry. So I had applied and was accepted to go to Pacific Lutheran for my master's degree in college administration. And um, the people that I talked to in my church supported that decision. The people I talked to that I worked with at St. Olaf supported that decision. Talked to my parents and they went, well, it's better than getting you out of jail. So yeah, <laughs> we support that. And uh, so it seemed like an emergent plan. And at that time, I was the uh, volunteer youth pastor at our church, and um, I, I didn't know what was happening. There was a tug of war in my heart. I didn't feel settled. There was a tension I felt. And I loved working with the college students, and I loved my work at, on the campus, 
but I was really enjoying working with the kids at the church. And there was another tension that I didn't want to pay attention to. It was the tension of knowing I needed a wife. And I was a disaster when it came to dating. So I had said to the Lord, listen, I've messed up a lot already. I don't want to mess up this idea of picking a wife. You got to help me. So I had kind of called a sabbatical on dating, um, and yet I was feeling a tension. And I knew, you know, by myself, I'm a disaster. I got to have someone that will say, I wouldn't do that, Mark. (laughs) I needed a wife. So I'm feeling these tensions and time is mounting. And I'm talking to different people about them. And they just say, no, it seems like this is good. And so now we're at the end of the school year at St. Olaf. And I'm working in the youth group with Betsy, my now wife, and her roommate, who strangely enough never used to show up to help at youth group. It was just Betsy. And I'm realizing that I don't feel so good about going to Pacific Lutheran and following this path. There was tension about it. So, on one of my prayer runs, I do prayer walks now. (laughs) But back then, I'm on my prayer run, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, how come I'm feeling this tension? And And it comes to me that Betsy's the one. I literally stopped running and looked around in the cornfields. Okay, no one's here. Did you say, said it again. Are you messing with me? Because I really admired Betsy. I really thought she was a super cool person. I I loved her relationship with Jesus, but I was really trying super hard not to get romantically involved. But there's tension now, isn't there? What am I going to do? So on the very last night of the youth group, and our youth group, by the way, the, the youth group that used to come out of the campus were junior high students. We had junior high students that were leading college students to the Lord. It was awesome. I mean, they would come and hang out in the foyer, and, and I remember one time coming, and there's all the students, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what are they doing now? And, and, I, and I walk a little bit closer, and they're sitting on a couch with their heads bowed. They're leading a student to the Lord. Just Amazing. So that made me feel tension, like, I don't know if I want to leave this. This is super cool. But we have our last meeting. The kids pray for me. They have thoughts for me and different things, and they leave. And then Betsy's sitting there, and I asked her, how are you feeling? She goes, I feel unsettled. I said, yeah, me too. You want to go for a walk? Yeah. So we're going for this walk. And all the while we're going for the walk, I feel this urgency to talk to her about our relationship. But I'm feeling tension because I told the Lord, I don't want to talk about that stuff. But he just won't let up. He just keeps kind of, you know, so we talk about the kids. We talk about church. We talk about Pacific Lutheran and the career and all these different things. And finally it stops. You know, we kind of run out of things to talk about. I look at her and she looks at me and I muster all the courage that I could. And I go, what do you think about our relationship? And she starts talking, which I was relieved. So she's talking. She's She's kind of answering the question, and I'm praying, or I'm listening. I was listening, but most of me was praying like, dear God, if this thing is right, you got to open up the thing. And all of a sudden, I think I hear her say, I thought I heard the Lord say that we'll be married one day. And I was like, what? (laughs) Now, I'm not casting this as the model of how to do it. 
This is basically because Spencer's a little loose upstairs and God goes to extremes. But I look at her and it was the weirdest moment of my life. Have you ever seen like cartoon moments where they fast forward? And all of a sudden, you, like time, it's a time warp. And I felt like I was like right here in Betsy's face. Okay, let's talk. So we went home to my apartment. We sat and we prayed. We said, okay, this just seems crazy. If this really is God, our parents are going to witness to it. Our pastor will witness to it. Our close friends will witness to it. So we went through the process of talking to others. And you know what we found out? We found out from those little rascal junior hires. So they'd say, oh, we knew you guys would get married. Every time we'd see you together. You know, just like junior hires do it. But our pastor and his wife, every time they'd pray for one of us, because he was mentoring me, and Betsy was being mentored by the pastor's wife, every time they would pray, come together, and they'd have this sense. They were actually trying to get us to date, but we were like, nope. Our parents, it was, you know, I I don't, well, I'll tell you this one, because it's worth it. (laughs) The only time I have a chance to talk to her dad, who really doesn't know me, is at another wedding. We get there late. It's right before the bride's going to come in, which we know is a big moment. We don't want to steal her show. And I say to her dad, Mr. Slater, could I have a word with you? Now, Mr. Slater was a former Marine and football player. And I figured he was either going to punch me in the nose or laugh me off. I was prepared for either one of those. So I was kind of working on my dodges. And he says, sure. So we go over, and we sit down in these chairs, and there's the pressure of this moment. The ushers are looking at us like, what are you doing? I said, Mr. Slater, I don't know how to say this. I just got to say it. I love your daughter, and I'd like your permission to marry her. And then he just froze. And I thought, good God, he's having a heart attack. (laughs) Right here. And then he takes a deep breath, and he goes, well, be at ease, son. We'll talk more after the service. (laughs) Be at ease? (laughs) So the ushers say, psst. You got to get in there. So we walk in, and I walk in the main aisle, and the pew is there, and there's an open space for me. There's Betsy, her sister, her sister, her mom, and he goes around this side and sits on that side. In the quiet of the moment, this is what I hear him say, Barbara, do you know what that young man asked me? (laughs) How in the world am I going to be at ease? (laughs) Now, let me ask you, am I feeling the tension of God's plan? Mm, uh. But we go. He says afterwards, he goes, let's go to a park. And I said, okay, this is the part where he, he shoots me and throws me in a pond. <laughs> he asked me, he says, what are your plans? And I said, well, I feel like I'm called to ministry. Great. Are you going to go to school? Well, I'm trying to figure out which school to go to. Okay. Do you have any savings? Well, no. Do you have a job? Well, not right now. Do you have any insurance? Working on it. He says, for crying out loud, can you hunt? (laughs) To which I say, no. But I say, I can fish. And then he looks at me and he goes, well, you have our blessing. I'm feeling all kinds of tension. So I don't know where you are today, what kind of tension you're in. (laughs) I hope that's not what you're going through. But seriously, think about this. 
If you're waiting on God, for God, what's your plan here? Consider what Paul says. Consider the tension of others. The tension of you and God doing the two-step together. The tension of an emerging plan. And most importantly, the expectations that come with that. Because God is in it with you the whole way. He wants you to get it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. As we get ready to take this offering, we, uh, it gives us the chance to express back to you your goodness and how you provide. But it's not just about that provision. It's your goodness and how you consistently provide life, direction, care, mercy, grace. What we need, you are and you give. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray for everyone here this morning that are in the minute of tension, trying to make a plan. Lord, would you send others into their life to help them hear what you're saying? Would you speak clearly so they would know it's you? Would you help them, Lord, to unpack a plan that is God-honoring? And would you help them to hold their expectations in a way that they hold their course and trust you every step of the way? In Jesus' name, amen.